I think for future IDs, I would say it's very flexible. Yeah. It's very mm-hmm. fluid. Mm-hmm. It's very malleable. I'm probably not coining a new term, but I think we should just call ourselves learning professionals. We're in the art, we're in the game, we're in the field of learning. So enjoy that process yourself as a professional. Mm-hmm. You're listening to Instruction by Design, your podcast to the art of teaching. In December of 2018, Educause Review published an article called EdTechs and Instructional Designers, What's the Difference? This caught the attention of our IBD crew because it's a topic that makes you go, hmm, what defines an instructional designer? And how are other roles like EdTechs connected and defined? What are the similarities and differences? You might remember in season one, episode three, we published a podcast which revolved around how IDs can help and makes for a great setup into today's conversation. We were able to go around the table sharing our expertise, how we got to our roles, and what some of our favorite projects have been as IDs so far. The only thing we did not do is state a clear definition of what an instructional designer is. The article makes an early attempt at solidifying a definition using other authors, but points out that there is still some clarity missing and rather uses examples of roles and responsibilities to point out what sets them apart. The author, Pat Reed, begins with, both edtechs and instructional designers work with computer systems and programs, yet their actual duties differ from traditional IT tasks. And so a mental Venn diagram begins to be drawn. The article moves on to describe scenarios of how an edtech works with faculty versus an ID working with faculty and goes further into describing each role using Purdue University and University of Cincinnati as examples. The one piece of this puzzle that we don't often get into but this article touches on is the business sector. Although it's mostly referring to higher education, it does hint at the roles in businesses as well. In today's discussion, we will be taking another look at instructional design to make a comparison to similar roles and titles, expertise and environment. What really sets us apart? Welcome to this episode of Instruction by Design, your podcast to the art of teaching. My name is Celia Kuchwaitiwa from the Academic Innovation Team at ASU's College of Nursing and Health Innovation. Joining me today are... Jeanette Senegal. Aaron Kraft. I'm excited that we have a special guest joining us today for not the first time, but the second time. You may remember her from season two, episode seven, where we talked about teamness, Babette Kraft. Babette is currently an instructional designer at ASU's Mary Lou Fulton Teachers College. We are so glad you could join us today. Can you give us a brief update on your role and where instructional design has recently led you? Yeah, thank you uh, for the introduction, Celia. And I'm happy to be back and joining this team on a second podcast. Um, yeah, so like it's not it's not a big surprise because I have already given my notice. But uh, yeah, I'm transitioning positions, so I'll remain an instructional designer, but I'm moving out of higher ed um, into I guess more of a corporate sector, corporate, but it's still education and nonprofit. Um, so I will be an instructional designer senior specialist. Wow, very nice. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Well, it will be fun to bring some of that um, information in from what you're doing now with this new position. So glad to have you. 
All right, so let's get into the article. So the article begins with a bigger picture comparison of IDs and add text to information technology departments. What has been your experience with this? Well, my first reaction in looking through this article quickly and skimming it was like an angry rant in my head. Why do we have to label this? Why does everybody have to be in a category or a separate bucket? Why can't we all just figure out how to work together? Then I realized why, I mean, why? Why does that bother me so much? But in terms of experience, I think it is true in an observational sense in higher education. A lot of those roles do report to information technology departments which doesn't necessarily make a lot of sense because as the article points out, a lot of instructional designers don't really work that closely or directly with technology tools. It's, it's more peripheral to the work that they're doing in terms of curriculum, instruction, planning and analysis, project management. So they, they definitely raise some issues that I think are very current and, and reflect the reality that we see. I'll tell you why it matters. <laughs> well, <laughs> at least in my case. You know, in my graduate program, it, it was called the uh, Organization Information and Learning Sciences uh, MA program at the University of New Mexico. They taught us, or I should say I learned about instructional design processes. I learned about learning theories. The technology was always uh, incidental mm -hmm. or even coincidental. But they wanted to know that I understood theories and processes over everything else. And that's what I specialized in. And so if I, when I graduated and I started looking for jobs as an instructional designer, in my mind, I was providing those services. And then eventually I came to realize that, oh, I'm also looked at as a, almost like a glorified uh, IT help or assistant once I started working in a higher education. So that's the reality meets the expectation. But in that case, yeah, I think there can be a big disparity that if you get your degree in something and you're expecting to be, for example, an instructional designer, and then you get a job that's labeled as instructional design, but guess what? The people who posted that job don't actually care to, or, or don't actually maybe even know the differences between educational technologist and ID and the various other names that get applied to uh, people within this, this band of, of uh, duties and responsibilities. That can be... That can make for some interesting moments, I'm sure. You're so right. That disparity between our formal educational preparation, our knowledge, our skill sets, and then this idea of what roles and responsibilities we should actually fulfill, often a very big mismatch. It's not just ID. That's probably 90% of the jobs out there. <laughs> Ballpark figure. but yeah. uh, Well, and the article kind of goes off with that in, the t in using the term a the jack of all trades, which kind of goes with what you're saying about how in formal in your formal education of instructional design, you're more you're based more on the theory side of everything, not necessarily the application of everything. Right. Am I the, the tools weren't the focus mm -hmm. understand demonstrating knowledge of the processes, demonstrating understanding of the learning theories, how to learn, dual channel theory, and the idea of having a short-term and a long-term memory bank, cognitivism, behavioralism, constructivism, all the way up to, you know, to modern day approaches. That was the focus. I happened to be lucky because I, ha I was a graduate assistant working with the online course development team at UNM. And so I took, while I was studying, I was, I was able to apply that knowledge by building our helping to build courses mm -hmm. 
right? And then therefore I got to understand the tools. But I consider myself lucky. And again, to go back, that was somewhat coincidental that I had a job <laughs> that was showing me the tools that were related to the processes and theories that I was actually studying in my graduate degree program. In the article, they refer to another, a white paper that had come out um, by the Online Learning Consortium uh, called Instructional Design in Higher Education, Defining an Involving Field. And in that article, they place instructional design into four categories, designing, managing, training, pr and providing support. Then they also throw in the words collaboration and research. And so that's where that type of jack of all trades kind of comes in. So what are some ways that you've had to utilize those multiple skill sets to complete a project as an ID? Yeah, I think I think part of my thinking is part of the reason we get lumped into the jack of all trades is resources. The departments, colleges don't always have the resources to provide uh, a technology specialist and a graphic designer and um, you know a curriculum specialist and an ID. So then you come in with the given background, you know, instructional design or learning theories, and then maybe you have the developer skills with technology incidentally, but then there's always that the nature of filling in a role or filling in a need. Like when I sort of look at instructional design in general, it's a very malleable skill set. And so we all come with preferences. Some of us have preferences for curriculum or technology, but in the end, we're filling a need of that position. So, Sounds like what Jeanette was mentioning. Yeah. Why, can't, why do we have yeah. to pigeonhole it? That's an excellent point about resources, though. There's kind of a push and a pull a little bit. Exactly. Yeah. So, so then, yeah, I, I don't have the resources for a videographer. So suddenly I'm editing video that a faculty made or adding captioning because they don't have time. Which you've done. Which I've done. Yeah, right. So uh, it's more about, I think, shifting priorities. I think jack of all trades as a term kind of raises my hackles a little bit, but the concept behind it doesn't really. I mean, as we're alluding to, there are competing priorities in an institution there are various needs and the field itself has been evolving. And the fact that we don't have a standardized entry point to the profession, there's no single degree you have to have. Most places have a variety of skills they're looking for. So there's no hard line requirement necessarily on what you have to have in order to progress in a job as an instructional designer. Brilliant point. There's not one single entry point. I've seen people with an IT background getting mm -hmm. into instructional design. I've seen people who have an educational background mm -hmm. getting into instructional design. I got to say, those two seem to be the two major sources for uh, funneling uh, instructional designers. So there's no single entry point. And then, yeah, I, I have, have rarely seen a degree in, in a graduate program that says instructional design. Like mm -hmm. mine was yeah. organization, information, and learning sciences. Right. right? Mm -hmm. And even our degree... It started out as an education degree, but then moved into a library science degree. Yeah, it was eventually moved into library sciences, yeah. right? So, and then just to follow up with what Jeanette said, on the other side of that arc, there's no clear, and this might be another discussion for another day, but there's no clear arc uh, for progressing as an instructional designer, at least in higher ed that I'm aware of. You can go from being um, like a graduate assistant like me to being a full-fledged ID and then maybe a senior ID and then if you're lucky a manager of ID right but then it, like we're you know but those positions are rather limited and unless your school is growing exponentially 
you know, where do IDs go? Or you take on additional responsibilities or you shift more towards curriculum development or Mm -hmm. assessment support or any number of different things. So there is some demand there for that jack of all trades. But how do we reconcile this language around it's very nuanced. Like if you didn't know that and you just went and you just got a master's degree of some sort in education and you didn't know the kinds of questions to ask or the way to look at job postings and evaluate what they're really looking for. How do you guide your own career? That bothers me a little bit conceptually for people who don't have this kind of standardized roadmap that you do with many other careers. Brilliant point. Yeah. Well, and coming from the K-12 and looking at how they were differentiating between IDs and ed techs, ed tech to me was what I knew. I mean, and they talk about it in the article coming from it's more of a K-12 term, although there are ed tech educational technologist positions within higher ed. It's not seen as much. I think for the most part, you usually hear things like instructional support specialists or um, technology specialists um, in higher ed. But when I was moving over from there and ed tech was the main main thing, it was working with the technology integration implementation. And then I looked at the instructional design positions. So much of it was very similar, but I did notice that that extra layer of, okay, there's more theory and there's more design and design implementation of actual course and content design versus just the technology, which in my, my mind was very interesting because I always said technology for learning sake, not technology just for tech sake. So that was the extra push into wanting to look further into the instructional design side of everything. Yeah. See, I had, heard something similar being in in higher education because I actually got to design well help design but build the ed tech program here so it's a graduate program in education technology Mm -hmm. which by the way they're going to change the title to learning technologies eventually because of this education technology Mm -hmm. association with k-12 so although they have some k-12 teachers they're trying to say oh no we address an audience that's broader than k through 12 so yeah i was under the same impression when it came to education technology um and then when i was reading this article that was ex- describing education technologists yeah that role reminds me here at least in asu of instructional technologists so mm-hmm. here's like an additional term right yeah of what they do in higher ed mm-hmm. so i i was thinking reading um these articles that i wonder if some of the sort of muddy water isn't because of how instructional design moved into education so in in the sense of the original kind of old school classical instructional designer you work the with trainer, pe- right? The trainer, mm-hmm. you work with people who aren't teachers or educators. Mm-hmm. So then you move into a situation where now you have teachers and educators. This is what they regularly do. And you have to share that domain. So then how how I think that translated and that sort of shifted the position in some ways. Well, for the uninformed, can we recap the origins of instructional design? What, what were the origins? The military. The military. They were military trainers for in World War Two. Two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was a, there was a good article mm-hmm. that was, was... Th- that was talking about how 
traditionally the the role or the function of the IED instructional designer is to solve a problem. And the problem being the the position learning as quickly and as efficiently as possible. Basically Correct. improving human performance in an uh, as efficient way as possible. Yes. Yeah. And largely psych and cognitive, like human based in terms of how do we get to that problem solving place, mm-hmm. help people be effective in their military jobs in that context um, as quickly as they possibly can with as few resources as they can <laughs> possibly put toward it. It seems to continue. Yeah, imagine that. <laughs> but then, then that sort of speaks to why when we learn, there's such a focus on learning theory and learning methodology, right? Because mm-hmm. this is our background. This is how you assist a learner. But if you were in a different context where you didn't have educators, you have subject matter experts, then you take on more of perhaps the educator role, mm-hmm. right? You're designing the curriculum. That's true. You're creating the assessments, things like that. Well, and one of the other things that the article does is it refers to decentralized as being an ID department that reports to a college and might work more closely with instructors to determine the content, whereas centralized IDs work more on a consult- consultative role, making recommendations. Where do you see us in that? And do you have spectrum. any experience that where it's <laughs> different? I almost feel like we're a mix of both. So that's why I want to get your input, because... I don't see us as one or the other. I see us on both ends. And is it because we don't have other roles like the um, instructional specialists or the technology specialists or the ed tech, those other pieces, we're all instructional designers? It's probably because we don't have those roles. <laughs> Again, yeah, that resources. It goes back to that. I will say, though, that in particular for our, our place in the world here in the College of Nursing and Health Innovation at ASU, we are fortunate to work in this group called Academic Innovation, and we don't, we have the ability to leverage those other collaborative processes like our course evaluation specialist, for example, and our faculty development mentor. So we do have an, an ability to work maybe a little differently if we were reporting to a director of IT. We have some. Um, you know, with, with our stakeholder objectives, of course, our, you know, deliverables, if you will. But we also have the ability to do our own assessments in seeing where there are, where there are needs and to build up some programming to meet those needs in the way that we creatively think might work best. And then we have to show data that actually <laughs> right? Good old right. data. <laughs> but, you know, I, I've noticed and I've worked across three different higher ed institutions in an online or even face-to-face course building capacity, right? So I've noticed some striking similarities in the duties that I'm assigned, right? And, and for example, I'm not, I'm never in charge of identifying a problem. I'm never in charge of determining whether an instructional uh, platform is necessary to address the problem. I've never been asked whether or not, uh, or I'm sorry, let me, let me go back. And I've also never had to conduct any sort of formative or summative assessment to make sure that what we built is effective. As an instructional designer in higher ed, I would say rather consulting with the faculty and doing course building from that consultation this is about as far as it goes, but it, we, they seem to already have figured out who the learners are and what their needs are. That's already assumed. I'm sure the college already knows exactly who their demographic is at this point, and the program coordinators already know the kinds of students coming through their program, so they don't need my help in figuring that out. 
we already assume we're using the learning management system adopted by the university, so I don't have to sit there and figure out what kind of platforms are available to address the particular needs. And then as, as far as assessment goes, we, we have a, an evaluation specialist here. They look at the data and then they talk to other people and figure out what to do next. I have no part of that. In one of my roles, I did attempt to talk to an instructor who we noticed, both of us had noticed that in the sixth week of their course, the grades had dropped significantly, but then they popped right back up like in the seventh week on through the end. And so apparently there was something in that sixth week that the students weren't getting. Hmm. Obviously, there was some sort of obstruction in the instruction. However, when I offered to assist with auditing that particular week and finding out where, you know, where's the thorn in the paw? Where's that issue? The instructor says, oh, I don't get paid to work over the summer. I'm not going to worry about it. (laughs) And so, well, and that was a learning. That was my first time as a full-fledged instructional designer, but that... To me, that said everything like, oh, wow. So like these are the dynamics of higher ed. Like, so I think in other capacities, maybe military, maybe corporate, I would be responsible for auditing that and finding out the issues. I imagine this is my guess. I really don't know. Yeah. So Babette, she's going to know now. She's going to know beyond anything I'm well, I think I think that's sort of the, the why. So they want to bring up this idea of like instructional designers have this shifting identity, but perhaps they're not paying attention really to the constraints of the environment in which we're working in. Like, of course, your identity shifts as an ID and a higher ed where, oh, guess what? All these decisions are already made. So then where do you fit? So and I think that's what you're, what you're getting at. So the classical, the reason you're bringing up assessment and analysis is because that's part of the classical definition. That's what, that's we what we're, were trained to do. Our graduate program. But then you, you work in a higher education setting and you're like, oh, suddenly I don't need these elements. They're asking me to do these other things. But no, those are, you know, those are the shades of gray. Like, uh, like we say, you know, we work with technology, right? Because technology is becoming a learning environment. So we're learning to address the needs in that environment. But yeah, that doesn't mean that you call me and ask me for help and how to access Zoom. I don't know. They have their own IT team. Right? <laughs> go, go talk to them, right? We've talked about this a little bit in terms of distributed expertise and how there are different pockets of knowledge and ability. And one of the things that I think we're pretty good at is understanding how to leverage that in our team-based course design or our team-focused work so that we can engage those others collaboratively, which leads me to the utter importance of being able to learn the culture of those environments, being able to build relationships with your faculty, your colleagues, your SMEs, whoever you're working with in a team. That is such a fundamentally important skill that we really don't get a lot of instruction on necessarily in our formal education programs. That's everything. If you don't have the relationship, It doesn't matter how much you know. It doesn't matter how much experience you have. It doesn't matter if you know the answer to all the questions. If you don't have that relationship, it's all moot. But I don't know if that counts in (laughs) educational technology. I I think it does, right? Because you're, yeah, well, you're bringing up the idea of this decentralized, centralized. If you're working in a consultation capacity and nobody wants to consult with you, then how are you able to do your job effectively, right? Um, I know the the teachers college, that's interesting because they work more in the decentralized sense, but they're we're embedded at ID. So we're embedded in in the teachers college, but 
we actually have more control in terms of um, the content. So you work with the faculty, the faculty hands you the content, but everything is built by us. And then they talk to us about activities and we design the activities and we put them in the system. So actually the instructors don't touch the technology or the system as much as like a consultation capacity would. So I think and we function more on that end. So then, then I can understand why, why. So our role in that sense gets misinterpreted more as IT because guess whose hands are in the technology most of the time? It's mine. Mm, right. <laughs> so then, hey, you're the one whose hands are in this. Hey, can you help me? Can you fix this? And how much of that effect is driven by the fact that when we're talking about like your course example, you're largely working on online only courses or fully Correct. online yes. courses where mm -hmm. a lot of times here we're trying to help people figure out classroom management. You know, mm -hmm. they're dealing yeah. with face to face students, not sure how to do formative assessments. So the demand and the need might inherently be the same but the way that they carry it out is going to be quite different mm -hmm. that's true yeah that's true and how do you see your role evolving going into the the business side of um, instructional design do you see that it's i'm sure there's a connection but do you see an evolving layer that's going to happen yeah so so i'm seeing twofold things so one with the position that i took one of the reasons I was particularly interested in it is because they're wanting to design and build an online academy, so mm -hmm. a school. So then for me as an idea, I've designed and built and managed programs, mm -hmm. so EDD programs, a three-year program, I've done uh, ed tech program, but now I get to do sort of like a school. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's, it's expanding that role. And then um, I just got a badge so i have to say that i love badges i recently received one for olc workshop series oh, which yes. is learning experience design so i think that's a new wave cool. or new models for instructional designers mm -hmm. and she's referring to the online learning consortium yeah correct online learning consortium so those of us involved in instructional design yeah in higher ed we know mm -hmm. of that group but um yeah, so those are those are new techniques, new models. So I think I see I see it as another thread to add to this messy pool. <laughs> <laughs> so you're gonna have education technology, instructional design, and you're gonna have learning experience designers. So I, I see those too. Yeah, learning experience design that is kind of a new field, a new frontier mm -hmm. in in the field of ID, isn't it? In education in general, this idea of paying attention to how the in the user and the interface work together, whether or not they do work together or not, and how you can make the uh, experience maybe more intuitive and facilitate. I, I don't know. You, can you tell us more about it? What you know yeah. About? Um, so I can piggyback in two ways. Alex Design situates at the intersection of service design, user experience, or what is called UX design, and instructional or learning design. So it's, it centers on mashup. <laughs> there you go. Cool. It's a mashup. So UX is really dealing with interfaces. Service deals with workflow, process, and people. So then all three of those elements involved with learning is basically what they're getting at. So actually, at the, what is it, the university-wide ID meeting, we got to see an accessibility test. So a student uh, who I think is like visually impaired? Visually impaired, yes. Visually impaired was showing us what it's like to have to navigate Canvas. 
using that screen reader. Jaws, I believe it was. Jaws. Hmm. And so that is basically user experience design. So you watch the user and how they navigate and what their experience is like. That was a very frustrating experience for that user. And I think that was very eye-opening for a lot of us because we didn't, you know, pros and cons of an LMS system, but you really never see it from that user perspective. I was a bit naive in thinking that these things merged together quite seamlessly, but that was not the case. She had difficulty replying to a comment in the discussions because the screen reader didn't couldn't recognize the reply button. Mm -hmm. So unless she has somebody there to click it for her, there was no way for her to reply to a comment in the discussion thread. Yeah, there was no way for her to access basically her assignment. And, and there was feedback from the audience. But basically the way that JAWS worked, uh, however, it I think it was the shift. She used a certain key to move it. But then you've come to find out you had to use a completely opposite key, which is the tab key, to find the reply button. So it was it was not user friendly is right. what we learned. <clears throat> and that's a great illustration of kind of the difference between compliance meeting a legal requirement for accessibility versus compatibility between systems and best case use scenarios. There are so many nuances that might occur at the level of the LMS design, the person who actually put together an individual course page, and the version of software an individual user is, is trying to attempt as a screen reader to get through that material. There are so many layers there that could potentially cause issues. I think, I think in some ways that's probably why this learner experience design is on the rise. I think we're, we're pushing more towards accessibility mm -hmm. and, and beyond. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> beyond just meeting the minimum requirements. And so that's going to bring in a new way of thinking or assessing these tools. And that's another piece of that role and responsibility that's going to get folded into <laughs> our, our instructional design title. <laughs> another trade to add to our table yes. trade. Exactly. The article also throws in Purdue and University of Cincinnati's roles and responsibilities or their job postings, basically. Um, for the positions of instructional designer and ed techs. How does your role description match up with what's been provided in the article? Do you find that your role has blurred across to the ed tech side or in what, and in what way? Well, first of all, I'll say that I really appreciate that they literally put specific exemplars from, you know, they're talking about higher ed. They literally pulled job postings and, and looked at the language. I thought that was quite a nice way to talk about this, even though, again, that gut reaction I had is, why are we putting people in buckets? Mm -hmm. um, I appreciated that. As an anecdote to your question about that bleed over into ed tech role, I applied for an instructional designer job many years ago at a different institution, and it was, I would say, a fairly typical job posting. It very much matched this kind of language. I put in an application I didn't get called for an interview, but they were nice enough to actually provide feedback to applicants who they would have interviewed oh, if wow. not for a particular issue that they saw with your, your materials. I thought, wow, that's really cool. And the reason that they literally could not call me in for an interview was they had a minimum required qualification that you knew how to script HTML. Yes. Wow. And I was like, are you kidding me? Really? <laughs> and you know, maybe I just missed that detail, like literally in the posting. But to me, I had this conceptualization of like, if you put out a job post for a carpenter, do you ask them if they know how to use a hammer? I mean, mm -hmm. yeah. you, you literally are closing people out who are qualified and interested in, in your organization. 
because of this one tiny little piece that's very incidental to this role and responsibility of being an instructional designer. So I was righteously outraged. (laughs) I would be too, because a lot of the times you want to see growth in your employees. So if they have everything else and maybe they're missing just one piece, why don't you have that person come in and then you get to help them grow that in that, you know, way or. Wow. I agree. I That's... suspect that was like an HR human resources kind uh... of requirement because it was listed as a minimum required skill. But I hope that that yeah. experience led them to think about how they more keenly develop their job posting language. Mm-hmm. I have an anecdote since we're sharing anecdotes. <laughs> <laughs> anecdote time. Anecdote time. So. I was sitting peacefully in my office one day, not here, because I don't have an office here. <laughs> or is it peaceful? <laughs> Going back to resources. <laughs> Leading question. It's Again. very peaceful. Uh, yes, boss, it's very peaceful. <laughs> I was sitting peacefully in my office one day when a student worker runs into my office and says, Aaron, Aaron, we need your help with something. And, you know, being the nice friendly guy that I am, I, I said, of course. And so I, I stood up and we ran to this other room and apparently our college had booked a speaker, a guest speaker to, to talk about whatever it is they were going to talk about, but he couldn't get his computer hooked up to the, uh, they had a, they had a, a high definition TV that they were using as, as the, the, the monitor or the, the, instead of a projector, right? Okay, well, not quite my job duties, but, you know, I'm always happy to help when I can. I look, I notice, oh, he, they don't have the right connections. Um, I don't know who set up this talk. I was not involved in the planning whatsoever. And I looked at everything and I said, oh, you don't have the right connections. And the person giving this talk looked at me and said, why didn't you set this up in advance? Or why didn't you have this ready for me to go or something like that? Now, it's not just him. There's a room full of people looking at me, expecting me to solve this problem. And so I went from peaceful, minding my business in my office, <laughs> to a very stressful moment. And of course, to argue and start saying, well, it's technically not my job, that, that would probably make me look even worse in front of these people. So I, I don't know how I tailed it out of there, I tailed it out of there, but I eventually found a way out. Um, I might have thrown down a smoke bomb and just uh, <laughs> <laughs> time for this bird to fly. <laughs> so, so diplomatic. <laughs> and it stuck with me that, yeah, so I, when I'm pulled between the two worlds, it's because I'm being pulled into one or the other. And I, I think that I was fighting a lot more back in those days where now I, uh, I'm a little bit more gracious when someone asks me if I can help them log into their browser, for example, because, you know, <laughs> we're all just trying to figure this out. If, if, if we can just maintain positive attitudes, I can work with you. But uh, yeah, so I, I, I have had I've been pulled in both directions before, for sure. As an ed tech mentor in K-12, I used to get called out of my classroom at times to help troubleshoot computer issues in other classrooms. It was always very interesting. And I know when I first started here with Con High, I used to get calls. I actually put the classroom support number on my wall so that I could easily access it because <laughs> I was getting, you know, questions about classroom support information and troubleshooting computers in the classrooms. And every so often, I, you know, if I went to talk to a group 
I would hear the instructor say, oh, she's with IT or Celia's from IT. And I'm like, no, I'm not, though. <laughs> like, I don't think you're <laughs> IT, right? Um, but I feel like over the years, and I'm not sure how we've how we've managed to get there. I don't know if it's just our presence, our academic innovation presence within Khan High. I think more and more the um, faculty are starting to understand a little bit more about our role as far as faculty support goes and course design assistance um, versus just IT support. I mean, we still definitely get that, but I don't hear the reference to me being part of IT nearly as much as I did when I first started. So yeah. I think we're, we're getting somewhere. Part of that relationship management yes. and, you know, the, the culture, cultural awareness within the organization. I think that helps. Mm -hmm. So on a scale from Buddha to Gordon Ramsay, <laughs> when someone introduces you or refers to you as IT, how, how, what's your reaction? How, how, how do you feel internally? Ignore it. No, I'm just kidding. So more Buddha. It's, okay. it's, I got Buddha from Jeanette. <laughs> I do think it's situational. I mean, it depends mm -hmm. kind of on who you're talking to and what the context is. But sometimes I'll try to just say the title out loud, instructional mm -hmm. design or designer, depending on what's going on. And then if there's an appropriate juncture later and I'll be like, oh, well, IT is directed by this group and they're actually over there. And they may not really get what I'm saying that's okay but at least I feel like I've been as honest and clear as I can in the moment you planted the seeds yeah anyways. right yeah. and I feel like it's uh been embedded in some of our like new faculty right. orientations right. to differentiate us versus um IT. our role versus IT that's and true the idea of us being faculty support and student support being elsewhere you make it sound like we subtly suggest this we actually have a slide that says, <laughs> we are not IT and it literally has a giant red circle yeah. with a line through it but that's an example of how we use humor to make a yes. point we're like that's we love true. seeing you guys don't ever call us <laughs> don't call us so I feel like sometimes we serve as that kind of middleman of yeah. all the different areas. And I could see that. Yeah, you you sort of we're we're in a niche area where mm -hmm. at, at the minimum we can kind of guess what the problem is and kind of help direct. Right. Like you're having this Google Doc issue. Well, I know that if you're signed in with your other Gmail accounts, you can <laughs> access it. You know, I can give you some basics and then send you along to somebody else. But uh, it's things we've learned ourselves <laughs> along the way. It's not something we studied in any sort of program or boot camp or anything like that. I think that's the difference. You know? Yeah, exactly. I think I think one of the things my part of my definition of instructional design is is knowing or learning how to learn, it's knowing how to learn and trying to explain that. No, we don't actually know all of this we just know how to google really well but that problem solving i, th I think yeah. you're actually hitting mm -hmm. on something that's important i think yeah. instructional designers by virtue of our roles or our temperaments i don't know what it is but we tend to be the people who like the puzzles and the problem solving yeah, so we're willing yeah. to kind of go out a little bit further and explore or research or whatever the case may be to try and kind of find the answer so you have to be incredibly tenacious in this role i think a lot of people give up the moment they can't find something they're looking for on Google, or they even, they just, it doesn't work for them in, in the first place. They don't even want to try Google because they don't even, they can't even fathom what kind of search query mm -hmm. to use. And then they, they give up. And I don't, I, I think that's fine. You know, like some people just don't want to deal with it. 
But if you're in this role, then chances are you're comfortable or you sort of have a natural inclination towards problem solving in that arena. I know it, Google's never bothered me. I've always, I'm, I would say, I'm usually successful. I'm 75% successful at least when I try to search for something. So yeah, there, it, it's a temperament. That's why we call you gumshoe, Aaron. <laughs> gumshoe. <laughs> yeah. Which is very interesting because, you know, lear early learning of library ser uh, searches leads you to using um, like the Boolean structure of taking keywords and using and and or. And you can use those same things with Google. So it's always very interesting to me how we can't transfer that same sort of library search knowledge over to Google. I mean, you can like type in your full-on question into Google good and it's gonna grab yeah, things. That's a, so. a good point because I think one of one of the things I learned using Google is that sometimes if you're having problems finding the information you need it's what you're searching for and in the process of searching you learn other keywords and then you yeah. use those keywords. Yep. Yes. Yeah it's a that's actually how I discovered instructional design. <laughs> when I was looking for Meta. A, a career shift. Yeah, we we were educators. And mm -hmm. then I was saying, okay, I don't want to stay as a teacher forever. And I mm -hmm. love multimedia and technology. How can I pair the two? And then I ran across all these different keywords mm -hmm. like in that search. By the way, if you're listening to this and Google confounds you, literally type the sentence in your head. Like, yes. She, mm -hmm. she probably typed that exact sentence she just spoke. And you know, I'm getting you know, yeah, yeah. Like, what <laughs> is instructional design? Question yeah. mark. Or like, you know, how can I merge my interest in technology <laughs> and education together for a Like it's a 50 50, but sometimes it absolutely works. It does. So it does. That like, actually, it's kind of the same thing as um, when I was looking for positions in higher ed, and I thought, you know, I wanted to move out of K 12 and um, I move on to higher education, I had to kind of do some of that searching of what is equivalent to what I'm doing here in higher ed. And yeah. then I came across the instructional hmm. design and I still kind of find myself going back to that ed tech sort of role in looking at technologies like becoming a Google certified um, educator uh, last year because I was still interested in like learning more about Google and how it can be implemented and integrated. And then doing things like um, working with one of the faculty more recently on um, utilizing Flipgrid and seeing how that can, you know, enhance some of her discussion boards. But some of those, that tool part of it still kind of gets me excited, you know, and I, I'm glad that I get to do all the course design and work with the faculty in other ways. But sometimes coming back to that, sort of ed tech role still gets gets me a little excited. That's a good point. Yeah. I'm going to say, and this may be a not, this is probably not a popular opinion with all ID. <laughs> Spill it. <laughs> I'm going to say that you cannot, at this point in modern society, remove technology from our position. <laughs> oh, no. I mean, not as ID, but... I think there's there's levels of interest, mm -hmm. but I think as an instructional designer, you you don't need to know how to support the tool. I'm going to like separate them, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you don't need to be the one to make instructional guides for how to use the tool. That's that I can see being a different job. Yeah. But you need to be able to learn the tool or recognize the tool or begin to understand how it can function in learning. 
Yes. Yeah. So there has to be, you're going to have to interact with technology in that sense, right? That's mm-hmm. well stated because that's where our <laughs> learners are at and our yes. teachers and the state yeah. of education right now. And it's how do we decide which ones are actually going to work? So we are using the technology for the learning's sake because there's so many tools being created, but sometimes it becomes too many tools and you have to kind of pick and choose like, okay, which ones are actually going to enhance our course and not just bombard, you know, our course with too many things. Like, how many logins do we need to have? (laughs) But that was the point of, like, some of these articles that we're going to be putting in our show notes, I imagine. Absolutely. Is, are we focusing on the processes and the underlying theories and and putting out a solid product? Or are we focusing on the tools? Mm -hmm. It seems like instructional designers, particularly in higher education, are expected to know the tool more than the other stuff. At times. Right? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. Can I pitch out a closing question to this very articulate group? We have talked about so many layers of nuance, and I think it's fair to say that we've all kind of come to this through our own experiences and trial and error and making mistakes and (laughs) recovering. But if we were talking to a group of newer instructional designers or people who are interested in the career and they're not sure about it, how would you tell them to start learning about these layers of nuances that aren't necessarily codified anywhere? How would you direct them? You got to follow your intuition. If you're into the corporate thing, that's your bag, then dive into what they're looking for. If you're into, I was into higher education. I've always enjoyed higher education. I was an undergraduate student for six years. (laughs) (laughs) I have no problem being on college campus. So I went ahead and followed that route. Right. And then I think Babette, you know, I'm going to assume that you you did your thing with higher ed and you, you thought, well, I'd like to go ahead and expand out a little bit. So I, and then there's also the military. That's another big avenue for instructional designers. So I, I would say find what avenue you're interested in and uh, just start picking it apart. Dive in. Yeah, I, I think for future IDs, I would say one of the still exciting things about the field, one of the things I enjoy is that. It's very flexible. Yeah. It's very fluid. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's very malleable. Like I'm I'm probably not coining a new term, but I think we should just call ourselves learning professionals. <laughs> like just <laughs> learning. But we're we're in the we're in the art, we're in the game, we're in the field of learning. So enjoy that process yourself as a professional. Mm-hmm. Like maybe you start out, you know, like some of us in higher ed. But then maybe you begin to recognize what the context is in the environment. And you decide, hey, I need to change. Let me go explore another uh, sector. But the nice thing is there's so many sectors that mm-hmm. need you. Right. Mm-hmm. And need your work. Transferable skills. Tons of transferable <clears throat> skills. Definitely. So you can continue to expand professionally. Don't, don't pigeonhole yourself. <laughs> Don't mm-hmm. let these definitions pigeonhole you. You're, you'll be fine. Just en- enjoy the journey. And go get more badges. Go get <laughs> a lot more yes. badges. Yeah. In a world of badges. In a world of badging. And then well, we're pro-badge now? <laughs> <laughs> we're 100% pro-badge. But then you can explore, yeah. And then 
figure out for yourself do you fall on the technology side like i love technology mm-hmm. you 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 can't pull that out of my hands i'll be cold and dead you're not removing my phone <laughs> like i love technology and i recognize other people aren't that way unless it's to upgrade to the next model <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah then you can take Uh-oh. it out of my head and give me the pixel 4 <laughs> when, pixel 4 whatever you come out your mind <laughs> all right so you heard two- it here first folks <laughs> Two add-ons to those ideas then. So that leads me to think that a good strategy would be for them to look for keywords. So if they're Mm -hmm. looking at job postings or master's degree programs or whatever, and they kind of have a sense, I'm more interested in technology. So they start looking for keywords that would imply those roles or those jobs are a good fit for where they want to go, not only their existing skills. And then the other thing is I definitely would encourage people to reach out to those professional organizations out there. And I mean networking even if you're not into that there are some good programs out there like id to id which Mm -hmm. is a initiative out of penn state and educause where you can literally hook up with an online mentor Mm -hmm. and learn from an experienced instructional designer and get some feedback on what these layers of nuance are all about edsearch has something similar called is it's edsearch loop edsearch loop with Aaron talking about, you know, deciding whether you want to do higher ed or or um, going the business sector, I would also take a look at your skill sets, though, and see what what excites you most. Is it building like e-learning courses, using the tools and the technology, like, for example, Storyline? I mean, I've had instructional design roles where one of them was all I was doing was building the courses in the um, in the software, like Articulate Storyline or Captivate or Camtasia. And then the role that I have here full time in higher ed is more on that higher education courses, working in the LMS, um, building course design. So you also want to look at and both of those actually were in the higher ed environment, but it was just two different styles of the instructional designer role. So you also kind of want to look at where your skill set is and what how you can utilize that and see what excites you and look at what the instructional designer roles are in those areas that you're looking for. Good point. Very good point. All right. Thank you, Jeanette, for ending the show with uh, giving some ways for newer instructional designers to get ideas on how to get into the field. Let's continue this conversation on Twitter. Feel free to tweet us with your role and responsibilities and where you all fit in into this wide world of instructional design and ed technology and instructional technologists and all these other names that we have don't forget curriculum specialist learning experience designers (laughs) is that senior or associate (laughs) we love hearing from our listeners i'd like to thank the ever so wonderful podcast team jeanette and our participant and producer aaron and of course our lovely guests that we've enjoyed having back for another episode babette craft thank you for having me again You can reach us on Twitter at IBD underscore podcast. That is IBD as an instruction by design underscore podcast. Or you can email us at instructionbydesign at asu.edu. To find previous episodes, please visit our website at links.asu.edu slash IBD underscore podcast. This podcast was produced by Arizona State University's College of Nursing and Health Innovation.
You did it too. Oh, Ed Ed Loop. Ed yeah. It's Ed, Ed Surge. Ed Surge yeah, has Loop. Ed Loop. It's like Ed Loop. I think. Can't, we were both part of it. I know. I'm, I'm gonna have to great it. Put it in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> we'll put it in the show notes. 